Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. The dream season for the Houston Cougars ended in the Sweet 16 with a 62-58 loss to Kentucky. I want to welcome back the host of the Scott and Holman podcast, Sam Raz and Dustin Rensink, who have covered everything with the Houston Cougars and do that over on their podcast and who also made the trip to Kansas City for Friday's game. Before we get to the game itself, you guys, you're still in Kansas City. How's the trip? How was the trip? You know, how are things going? It was snowing here yesterday, which was kind of a culture shock to me as a Texan. That's a, my big impression. Also, the barbecue's been pretty good. <laughs> I was going to ask you, did you get to experience and compare and contrast to the real thing? Oh, yeah. It's been, uh, we've been, we had barbecue on uh, on Friday when we came in. We had barbecue yesterday. We're going to get some more barbecue later tonight. So we're, uh, we're definitely sampling everything Kansas City's got to offer. And, uh, you know, my heart still belongs to Black's Barbecue in Lockhart, Texas for the until the end of time. But uh, some pretty good stuff up here in KC as well. You guys did the Tulsa trip too. How were the Houston fans? How did they travel? Yeah, I was pretty impressed. I mean, there was uh, it was pretty clear that Tech and Iowa State had the uh, the biggest traveling fan bases of anybody that showed up to that regional. Um, but I thought the Huger, Houston Cougar fans acquitted themselves well and were uh, were very into the game. And certainly, you know, even going against a, a, a quote unquote Power Five program like Ohio State uh, in the second round, I thought the Cougars had the uh, had the fan edge in that one. So I was I was pretty impressed with the way that the Cougars uh, traveled. Any good celebrity fan sightings on your NCAA tourney travels? I don't think I, I mean, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Kansas City, uh, Missouri are <laughs> a little bit less likely to bring out the celebrity fans. We did see Greg Oden um, right. in Tulsa at both of the Ohio State games because we stayed for Iowa State versus Ohio State in the first round and then obviously played them in the second round. So I got to see uh, maybe the biggest bust of all time about five, ten feet away from me. Boy, I was just thinking about that the other day, the big trailblazer jinx, the the Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, Bill Walton. We just had the Nurkic, uh, golly, they they just had, you know, you go back to Sam Bowie evens. Yeah, so, so many, but uh, Oden was walking okay these days. He's he's not hurting, for the, the leg still didn't bother him or anything, huh? Seemed like he was getting around all right. We were kind of joking because uh, we saw him before the, uh, the first round game, I think it was. He was talking to Houston Cougar great Elvin Hayes. And uh, it looked like Elvin Hayes might have looked like a younger man between the two of them. <laughs> what did you think, uh, getting to some sadder news, what did you think when you saw P.J. Washington was going to play? Crap. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kelvin Sampson said it after the game. He was P.J. Washington was kind of the only player that Houston didn't really have an answer for. And, um, you know, obviously with uh, I thought that Houston matched up pretty well with, uh, with Kentucky. Took him a while to get into the game, but it played out kind of the way we expected, which was, you know, if P.J. Washington was healthy enough to not only play but to be effective, um, that Houston was going to have a hard time with him. And uh, that's, man, one of the many great ifs looking back from the Sweet 16 matchup is, you know, what if we had been drawn to play on Thursday instead? If we're playing on Thursday, I don't know that P.J. Washington is playing or that if he's playing, he's, you know, as effective as he was. Because he didn't, he didn't look hurt at all for, you know, someone who apparently was in so much pain going through the walkthrough the day of the game that he was having a hard time going through it. Uh, it certainly seemed like he was doing a good job of playing through it. So, man, I'm not sure. If, I think if our game is on Thursday, we might, uh, we might uh, end up winning that game. But it's uh, going to go down in history as one of the great what-ifs. Yeah, you guys were at the game. I don't know if you saw this after the game, but Calipari acted like he was surprised that P.J. Washington would play that game. Yeah, I mean, he was legitimately the week before in one of those, you know, wheeling. He was not putting weight on his leg less than a week before this game. Yeah, that's, that sucks. Uh, when I initially had you guys on the show, my concern about the tournament was the Cougs' ability to go toe-to-toe with the big boys, not having the physical talent, the top 100-level athletes. 
Now, there's no question they could have beaten Kentucky. It was that close. But did the Cougs' lack of size, particularly length, catch up to them? The Cats out-rebounded the Cougs by 13, I think, was the final count. Yeah, and the Cougs really had to work to even get it to 13. I think they were doubling them up at one point in the second half. The first half was even worse. I think I think the Cougars' front court talent has improved under Kelvin Sampson, but has it gotten to the level of a Kentucky or you know, insert name of a blue blood you're going to play at this point in the tournament, I would say no, probably not. And I think that was the difference. I think I'm not going to blame the officiating. I think I'm going to not mention it again after the sentence, but <laughs> they the officiated pretty tight. That didn't help our guys. If they have any weakness this year, it's been, you know, sending opposing players to the foul strike, particularly the front court players. And I think nearly all three of our, or four of our front court regulars were in foul trouble the entire game. So it was kind of a rotation of, okay, like, this guy has three fouls. Let's get him back in. This guy has four fouls. I think the entirety of the Cougar front court's contributions on Friday night were three points and eight rebounds split between four guys, which obviously isn't good enough. And if you want to highlight one area as a big difference, I think that was it on Friday. I think that was – I think that was – that and P.J. Washington individually, obviously, were the differences on Friday. That's kind of something we talked about on our post-game podcast that we did right after the loss was that, you know, I mean, I would put Houston this year, I would put their, their backcourt talent against anybody in the country. I think the Cougars had as good a, a guard rotation uh, with the five guys they had rotating at the guard position. You know, I'd put that up against anyone in the country. And, I mean, in terms of blue-chip talent, you look at, you know, coming back next year, they'll still have – uh, Dejon Giroux and Nate Hinton coming back, as well as Armani Brooks. And, you know, those two guys were both top 100 national recruits. So uh, the staff certainly has shown that they can bring in some elite-level talent. Um, but to really take that next step, I think the Cougars are going to have to get more out of their front court. And they do have some, you know, underclassmen this year that uh, that played well on spots and I think can hopefully be a little bit more consistent last, uh, you know, coming into the next couple of years here. Um, but, yeah, to take that next step, I think uh, definitely finding some, some more dominant front court players is going to be a huge part of that equation. I think Fabian White and Bryson Gresham, who are both sophomores right now, in the next year or two will improve. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if their ceiling is the level of being competitive with, you know, Kentucky or Duke or anyone you're getting this late in the tournament. But I do believe those two guys have a bright future for the Cougs, Fabian and uh, Bryson. Yeah, you might need to hang them from their toes though, so they can uh, grow an <laughs> inch or two. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> Kentucky only attempted seven more free throws, but like you said, that there was ten more fouls. It was a tone setter. I I agree. I mean, that plays a part. You know, you hate to do the officiating card. But yeah, the turning point of the game, though, for me, guys, 34 seconds left. P.J. Washington blocks Corey on one end. And as soon as Kentucky heads the other way, I'm thinking, oh, no, find Hero. Don't leave him open. Don't leave him open. Let me just say, I love Galen to death. But as soon as he chased the ball, instead of staying with Hero, bad things were going to happen. I could feel it. Yeah, I mean, Dejan, you know, moved over, and Dejan, I thought, put a hand in his face, but uh, obviously, uh, Hero is a heck of a shot maker, and you got to do a little bit better than that later on, but man, it's uh, the symmetry of losing on a late three-pointer by a freshman in the tournament two years in a row is kind of uh, still uh, kind of burning a pit in my stomach a little bit. I mean, this one's, I guess, a little bit less crazy than the Jordan Poole shot from Michigan, but doesn't feel any better, certainly. I don't know about you guys, but this hurt even more because you saw what was ahead. The Cougs' road to the finals wouldn't have been all that tough if they win this game. Auburn loses their best player as they're upsetting Carolina. Virginia, who would be next on the schedule now, appears to be extremely beatable. I mean, the path to the finals was right there in front of you. 
Yeah, I mean, and that is something that is also similar to last year, because if you look at Michigan's path after they beat Houston last year, if Houston had won that game, that Houston would have been the, the higher seed in every game going into, I believe it was a championship game. Um, and yeah, kind of kind of similar thing where they would have, I think, you know, we, we were saying even before the weekend, it would have created this dream matchup that would have just driven all the conservative sports commentators insane, because it would have been Kelvin Sampson versus Bruce Pearl. Uh, with the spot to the Final Four on the line and just the uh, the hot takes about how that was uh, the end of college basketball would have been something to behold. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know second year in a row where you figure the Cougars went out in a game that they, you know they, I mean Houston was up by three points at the one minute mark in this game, so Houston definitely had every chance to win this one, um, just couldn't make the plays down the stretch and uh, second year in a row. I mean and it's I mean 67 out of 68 teams are going home saying what if we had played a little bit better in our last game at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, two years in a row where. It seemed like uh, an even deeper tournament run was uh, was right there for the taking. The Cougs just came up just a little bit short. No new contract for Kelvin Sampson as we're recording this, but I didn't like what he told the Chronicle this week. He said, quote, now is not the time for me to be doing contract talks. We had a whole year to do that. The good news is after that, he says, I'm going to talk to Houston before I do anything. How good do you feel about Kelvin Sampson coming back at this point. Give me a give me a percentage, or you know what's your what's your feeling. I like that you asked me it that way because I've been thinking about kind of as a percentage. I think before I think it's kind of eroded a bit this week. Before this week, I was sixty forty that Sampson was staying. I think I'm downgraded a little bit to fifty five forty five. He's staying. I think his age plays into that somewhat. If Kelvin Sampson was Buzz Williams' age, for example, the current Virginia Tech coach, who I think any moment is going to be named the head coach at A and M, I'd be pretty certain Kelvin was going to leave just because he's an ambitious guy, because I think he would want one more shot in, you know, in that league going against Kentucky every year, going against, you know, whatever the SEC offers. But Kelvin Sampson's going to be 64 next season. He has a situation right now, kind of like Dustin mentioned earlier, where there's a lot of returning talent. You do lose Corey Davis and Galen Robson, but you return a lot of talent, bring in a recruiting class he's very fond of. You have the practice facilities. You have the not only the nice arena, but the crowds in the nice arena. You're essentially unfireable at Houston, barring any off-court issues. You have just the ultimate job stability here. You have your family. I think the, the thing I'll be interested to see is if U of H, and they should be, is willing to make Kellen, his son, the coach in waiting, you know, whenever Kelvin does decide to retire. And, you know, that's a risk. Kellen has, hasn't been anything above an assistant, although I think Dustin and I regard him highly. He's been the assistant in on all of the Cougars' top recruits. He's someone who isn't just there because his last name is Sampson. He's legitimately a good assistant coach at the Division One level. But we'll see. I think that's going to be a big sticking point. If U of H hems and haws on making Kellen the coach in waiting, we might be seeing Coach Sampson in Fayetteville being introduced as Arkansas's new coach. I think he will give U of H a fair chance. I think U of H has publicly made a great offer to make him a top 25 paid coach to give him three million dollars per year in salary i i can't believe i'm talking about the university of houston offering to pay a coach three million dollars a year for basketball, for basketball. <laughs> but he, he's earned he's earned every penny of it he's earned probably even more than that if we can scrounge the money together for it if we're being quite honest but i'm somewhere just above 50 50 that he stays but obviously where there's smoke there's fire there is some legitimate interest from his camp on arkansas whether that's enough interest to make him leave a situation where he's very comfortable, where he has a good team, where his family's happy, where he has you know stability. Because Mike Anderson had made the postseason three of the last five years in Arkansas. Mike Anderson was 
definitively better than John Pelfrey and Stan Heath, his two predecessors, and they still canned him. So, yeah, you know, I hope if nothing else that tells Coach Sams about the stability that's there in Arkansas, and that you know he could be ending his career in five years, having done a decent job there, but getting fired because Arkansas has crazy SEC money and thinks a decent job isn't good enough. You did owe that, Dustin. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with most of what Sam said there. I've been, um, I've been like you said, the, the, the quote about uh, Kelvin Sampson saying, you know, we had all year to uh, to get this done, didn't make me feel real good. And you know, our kind of statement up front, as soon as the Arkansas rumor came out, is like, you know what, we're not going to freak out about it. Like it happens or it doesn't. He's going to be here or he's, or he's not. You know, we we don't know what's going into his decision making process, so we can speculate all we want, but uh, but we don't know. But it's it's hard not to read the tea leaves from every quote that comes out from someone. And oh, you know, Sampson said this. Does that mean that he's staying? The one that I think really. Um, kind of sticks with me that I'm having a hard time is um, um, Tillman Fertitta's quote where he said something about, you know, we're going to make them this offer and everything, and we're, you know, he's not going to leave on account of money, but if he doesn't want to be here, we can't make him stay. Or he said something about if, if he doesn't want to be here, and that just that seemed like a very spurned lover kind of quote to come out was, oh, well, you know, if we can't force you to, if you don't want to, so I don't know. Um, one thing that encourages me a little bit, I mean, for all the reporting th- that there's been about people thinking he's out the door there have been some good you know uh, college basketball sources that have have kind of come back and uh, you know Goodman has said that he thinks that you know there's a good chance that he wants to stay at Houston um, if you talk to the players you know to a man they all certainly seem very confident that uh, that Samson is coming back so I'm, I'm kind of with Sam where you know my lean is I you know if I had to uh, pick you know my life is on the line to get this right I think I would pick that he comes back to Houston for another year but um, certainly given the University of Houston's track record of retaining uh, talented coaches, I don't feel just super certain about that. Looking forward, uh, last year the Cougs leaned on Rob Gray. This year it was Corey. Will Caleb Mills be the guy next year? And, and for those who don't know, tell, tell us about Caleb Mills if you can. Yeah, Caleb Mills uh, is from Asheville, North Carolina. Kelvin Sampson, tell me if I'm wrong on this quote, Dustin, said he was the best offensive player he's recruited to Houston, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And actually enrolled in January and has been part of the program since then, has been participating in practices, strength and conditioning, attending classes, but is redshirting, is not playing, so he'll be starting next year as a freshman, but a freshman with several months plus the offseason of experience just being a part of a college basketball program. I've actually seen a few other programs do it. Tech actually has three of their freshmen coming in next year doing it as well. I think it's, for a non-one-and-done guy, I think it's a real novel idea to really, like, get you ready for college basketball and I think he's someone that could slide into he's talented enough obviously to slide into the lineup you know from day one and there is just enough uncertainty I do think Dustin and I think Dejan Giroux is pretty well entrenched to be kind of Galen's replacement I think uh, Nate Hinton has a very good chance to be a starter next year alongside Armani who's a returning starter and you know the front court but it would be kind of unprecedented if Kelvin Sam says back for a freshman to break into the lineup from day one. I don't know if I'm forgetting anything, Dustin, but can you remember a freshman? I think Galen Robinson, honestly, was the last yeah. was the last freshman I remember starting a lot of games when he was kind of alternating with Ronnie Johnson. Last name I haven't said in forever. His uh, his very first year on campus. Just I think he'll play. I think he'll definitely be a part of the rotation. Something Kelvin Sampson, I think, said about Caleb Mills, either you know just subsequent to or in the same you know, piece on Caleb Mills signing with Houston was he also has to learn how to defend. Like, yeah. he also has to defend to Kelvin's satisfaction. He could be this great offensive player, and 
if he's still kind of iffy and questionable on the defensive end, he will not be getting in the core of this team. You saw it this year. You saw it last year to a lesser degree. This is a team that prides itself on its defense, on its defensive effort. If you're going to be out of place defensively, that's the quickest way I've seen guys get yanked out of a game is, you know, missing, you know, their help, um, not being in the right place defensively, like just seeing Samson immediately pull off his tire, point to someone on the bench. Like it's just bad defense is not going to get you in the court very often. And I think Caleb Mills is coming from the high school game. It is an adjustment. So that'll be the big thing to see whether or not he could play defense to be on the court longer than a handful of minutes per game. I think he can. Otherwise, I don't think Samson would have offered him. And I think he comes in with a pretty good pedigree. But, yeah, I think he's the most, with respect to Jawan Roberts and Marcus Sasser, and we actually had someone unsolicited just DM us, someone who covered Texas high school basketball, and say, my God, Marcus Sasser is a beast. He is perfect for your guys' program. Mills is obviously the most exciting name of the incoming freshman here. Yeah, if I had to guess, I'd think that we use him kind of similarly to how we used uh, Dejan Giroux this year, how we used Armani Brooks last year, which is, you know, sixth man off the bench coming in to provide some instant offense. And if I had to guess, it would be, you know, Dejan Giroux, Nate Hinton, uh, Armani Brooks in the starting backcourt. But you definitely have lots of options. And uh, even with uh, Corey Davis graduating, who we're going to miss very, very dearly uh, having him. Uh, it feels like, we were kind of talking about this, it feels like he's been at Houston for a lot longer than two years for the impact that he's had on this program. Um, but even with Corey graduating, there is, I think, going to be plenty of offensive talent coming back next year. It's kind of crazy. Corey played on the last ever San Jacinto basketball team and also played on the first ever Houston team to go to Sweet 16 in like 35 years. It's kind of, kind of cool bookends to Corey's career there. Yeah, I was going to ask you the obit, the Cougar obit for Corey Davis and, and Galen Robinson, uh, what will people remember about these two guys Galen four years I mean just uh racking up tons of wins it just uh ridiculous uh what he was able to do from the beginning you know where the Cougar program was from the beginning of his career to where it is right now I think I'll, I'll just my two anecdotes about these guys because I think both of us need to answer this with our own impressions Galen is a human press break I think we've just taken it for granted the last three or four years that when an opposing team goes full court press, Galen just breaks it and breaks it without really draw, you know, getting too much trouble. Really, I remember it was a game his sophomore year at Arkansas. Arkansas, a team that you know makes their bones on pressing and pressing a lot. Galen would just they'd show full court press and Galen would break it within five seconds. He's just an unbelievably quick player, a strong player. And for Corey Davis, like one of our members, just probably the best. And I would say certainly the best on one-on-one on-ball defender I've seen in red and white. Just a guy who not just was good at you know drawing an opposing team's best match, but relished it. You could see he really wanted the best guard in the opposing team. He wanted Jerron Cumberland. He wanted um, Shastega, Landry Shamet. Those he wanted to go one-on-one with those guys. That's what Corey was really excited about. And just I think it was you know outside of the Cougar fan base, it was underrated how good of a defender he is for a guy who was listed at six one, so probably closer to six feet to just play bigger than his size. Like that will always remember that obviously his shot making and many other skills are great, but just how ferocious of a defender he was. That's what's going to stick with me about Corey Galen's the same way, but that's my impression of Corey. Yeah. I think uh, for Galen, you have to start with the fact that, I mean, if you think about where Houston Cougar basketball is right now, the last year that the Cougars didn't have Galen Robinson on the roster, 
they went 13 and 19 and had to win the two last like two or three games at the end of the regular season to not finish in last place in the American Athletic Conference. That was the last non-Galen Robinson basketball season for uh, the University of Houston. So basically, it's uh, almost impossible to overstate the impact that he's had, um, not just on the court. And you know, him and Corey both. If you listen to uh, to Kelvin Sampson talk, he just raves about what great practice players they are and how they show up every day in practice and how they you know they're they're forcing their teammates to get better they're not you know they're being coaches on the floor they're not allowing you know anyone to slack off in practice and so you know I think both of those guys you know Galen for the four years that he was here Corey for the two years that he was here it's almost not as much just about what they did on the court it's about that the way that they helped you know, build the culture of uh, of the University of Houston uh, basketball program, and I think that that you know that impact is going to still be there next year for you know all the players that returned that uh, that played with them, you know, from Armani to uh, to Dejan, even down to Caleb Mills, who got to you know be spending a semester practicing with them and seeing what those guys practice like, and and understanding that those guys set a standard for what the uh, what the effort level has to be at the University of Houston. Um, I think that's going to be the thing that I really take with me is, you know, more than the uh, the on-court statistics or any of the numbers that they put up and everything Sam said is absolutely true about, you know, both of their on-ball defense has been incredible. Um, I, you know, I'm just going to remember that I think that they're going to really have a lasting impact in the way that they, they redefined what it means to be a Houston Cougar basketball player. Yeah, I've been watching Galen for a lot longer. I mean, I've covered him back in his high school days, so it's been, I don't know, last six or seven years, so it'll be strange not to be watching Galen Robinson and, and with him and Corey Davis, is there any future for either of those two guys on another level? Could they be playing in the NBA or European league or I don't know, somewhere else? Yeah, there's a future somewhere in basketball for them for sure. And I think it'll be, it'll be something better than I think people project just because neither of those guys were expected to do what they did at the college level. Obviously professional is a whole different game, but you know, I'm positive those guys have skills that translate to some professional level, to be sure. I don't know if it, I would be somewhat surprised it's the NBA, but I could 100% see both guys being on G League or European rosters next year. I said this on Twitter, but I'm going to reiterate it. As someone who witnessed five Slamma Jamma this season was the most fun I've had since then. They made Cougar basketball an event viewing again. It's a joy to see college basketball being talked about and relevant in Houston. And I know you guys as Cougar alums, it's, it's just got to be just a, such a fun season and, and such a memorable uh, time for you. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm someone who played basketball poorly in high school, so it's always been uh, kind of the sport that I love, um, you know, maybe, maybe even a little bit more. I know this is a, uh, is heretical to say in uh, in Texas, but I'm not in Texas right now, so I can say it. I guess that even more than football, you know, basketball is my uh, is my first true love, and um, you know, March Madness is something that's been my favorite sporting event of every year. You know, going back as long as I've been watching sports, and um, it's been uh, it's been pretty hard for you know the many years of being a Cougar fan to not ever get to see my favorite team and you know my favorite sporting event my favorite sport overlap in any meaningful way and um so for me to to get to watch this team actually play meaningful games to get talked about by you know national you know writers and 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 things like that and for the cougars to be a national relevant entity on the college basketball stage is um it's it's everything i hoped it could be and this is the most fun you know team i've 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 followed even as much as uh, we we loved the peach bowl team a couple of years ago uh this is to me number one in my uh, in my pantheon i wasn't old enough to be around for five slam pajama so i didn't get to appreciate those days but uh in terms of my cougar fandom this is the most fun i've had following a team would be uh, the cougars this year all i would say is i'd second that the season's been incredibly fun we've traveled 
a pretty good amount of distance between the two of us. So like, be since we don't live in the Houston area anymore, every game is kind of a road game, and don't regret a second of it. Lost sleep, asking for time off at work, all of it's been worth every second of it to see this team play. Were you guys surprised that Ed Oliver admitted that he was not in shape uh, for his pro day? <laughs> I must, I must have missed that. I didn't see that quote, but uh, man, for not in shape for his pro day, the numbers he put up are pretty, uh, pretty stunning. SB Nation did an article that I thought was pretty funny, where they were, you know, he's the size of Aaron Donald. He had the forty time of Arian Foster. He had the broad jump of JJ Watt. He had, and they were just comparing all of his, uh, you know, numbers that he put up on the pro day to all these different pros. Quite often at positions that are, you know, the speed and quickness drills, or he compares uh, maybe more closer to a uh, to a running back than to a defensive lineman. So. Uh, I don't know if he was in shape or not, but uh, if, if that is Ed Oliver not in shape, then, man, once he gets in shape, he is going to be uh, even more fearsome than he is now. I'm betting Ed Oliver's in good shape, but that's just Ed holding that high of a standard for himself. Like, I remember when um, when Ed came in his freshman season, like, Herman was pretty reticent about making freshmen available, but Herman was ready about middle of his, his year to make him available for the media, and Ed's like, I haven't earned it yet. And this is after Ed had that just monster game against Oklahoma where he just nearly single-handedly shut down Baker Mayfield, one of the best offenses in the country. And Ed was just like, no, I haven't earned it yet. So so that might be Ed Oliver just saying he hasn't gotten up to his standard yet. He's, I would say he's probably in what most players would, <laughs> would, would qualify as good shape. Yeah, I'm looking for the quote. I can't find it, but I could have sworn that was the quote. And yeah, no, he had a good pro day. I mean, we, as you mentioned, it's, there's no question about that. Uh, anything else, uh, you want to add before we close out on the Cougar season? No, I mean, just, uh, like I said, hopefully, uh, it was, I mean, as much as it was fun to see this team playing really well, um, the thing that maybe warms my heart more than anything else was just seeing, especially towards the end of the year, once we got into conference play, sellout after sellout after sellout. Uh, at home in the Fertitta Center, um, and just and not only that, but just seeing what an incredibly you know just beautiful facility that was. After and I loved Hoffines, and as for as much as Hoffines was a dump, I loved watching games there. Um, but the transformation—if you didn't get to see a game in the Fertitta Center this year—if you have any familiarity with what Hoffines is like, or was like—it's um, you know it's it's unrecognizable, and it is you know I've been I've done a lot of traveling in my life. I've seen a lot of college basketball games in a lot of arenas, and I'm not sure I've been in a nicer arena than what the Fertitta Center is at this point so to see the cougars not only playing relevant basketball but uh but playing in a, a just absolutely gorgeous facility in front of sellout crowds you know i just i hope all the fans at home who had fun this year are going to remember once the season starts back up in november to uh to be coming out and coming out early and supporting this team and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again next year about another uh, another run in the ncaa tournament and so people don't know your your show it's not over just because the basketball season's over you guys keep going we are weekly year round we uh, i think we've taken one week off in the last two calendar years uh from doing this podcast so uh we'll still be talking about uh, there's cougar baseball and softball and track i mean our track program has been one of the top programs in the country and is still going and uh, is going to expect to be one of the top teams uh, when outdoor championships come up a little bit later this year, so and even during the uh, during the off season, we uh, we generally find some content to talk about. So we are year round uh, Scott and Holman podcast. Wherever you get podcasts, we would love it if you would uh, tune in with us every week. We're penciling in. We're going to be at the outdoor national championships in Austin, not just because it's a pretty easy drive for both of us, but also just because it's going to be amazing to see this Cougar team in a national championship that I can actually drive to. <laughs> Well, great information over there. Go check out the Scott Holman podcast. As always, thanks so much for doing this, guys. Hey, yeah, uh, thanks for having us on. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.